the clip. Several years ago now, a movie came out that uh, it just really reignited the, the interest people had in Roots music and some of the, the old style songs. And it really lit a fire under Church of Christ people because one of our songs was in it. We knew it was one of ours, even though we'd never heard it before. Because it was about baptism and there were no instruments being used. Watch this clip. It's a great movie, isn't it? It is. Before I came to Tennessee, I watched it several times to get ready for the lingo. Um, it was either that or deliverance, and I went with this one. Water is life. We've always had a fascination with water, even a love-hate relationship with it. I know of people that go to the beach every, sun, every summer, but will not get in the water. They want to look at it. They're fascinated by it, but they're frightened by it. One time, my wife and I go on cruises every so often, and we were on a cruise once, and this one lady would never, she had an inside room. Uh, she did not ever get near the rail. She liked to look at the sea from the middle of the ship. And I asked her, I said, What's, uh, why are you on the cruise? She goes, I just love the water. And I said, why won't you get close to it? She said, there are sharks in it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough, you can fly over it too, you know, it's, uh, that's all right in crashing. But in the, the, the point is that we love water, but we also are a bit afraid of it at times. Whenever we don't have it, we, we just long for it. But whenever it comes too much, it washes away towns. It washes away people. The Israelites cried out for water in the desert, but they were also afraid of water. Big bodies of water were unknown to them except for the Mediterranean Sea. And, and whenever you would see a big body of water, they assumed demons and monsters lived in there. Throughout the Old Testament, it's a metaphor. A water is a boundary line, but it's also the abode of demons and danger and darkness and fear. In Pepperdine, I'm going to preach a lesson on baptism that will have very little in common with this. Because what we'll be doing is looking at an old spiritual called Wade in the Water and looking at water as a sign in the Old Testament. And it's fascinating to watch the way they use it as in depression, your waves have rolled over me. Demons, Rahab lives in the water. And all of these different ways of using water. We're not gonna do that today. You'll have to come out to Pepperdine and Malibu to do that, which is right by the water. I'll give you a warning. Jews used water in cleansing ceremonies throughout their lives. They had the mikvahot, which were, you would dig down into a solid rock, a, a baptistry, we'd call it, with steps going in one way and out the other way. And they would traditionally, several times during their religious year, go down into the water, submerge themselves, and walk out the other side. Baptism was not unknown to them. It was a part of their, their life. In fact, there were enough mikvahot in Jerusalem to easily baptize the 3,000 and more on the day of Pentecost. As before, credit to whom credit is due. A lot of the lesson this morning comes out of conversations with John Mark Hicks and with his books that he co-authored with Greg Taylor and um, Bobby Valentine. And I don't want to use some of their words without giving them credit. In fact, John opens a book this way. 
Baptism is more important than you think, but not for the reasons you suppose. And then he goes on to say this. Many believe baptism is simply the sign of salvation already received. Others believe it is an indispensable command that legally divides those heading to heaven from those going to hell. Baptism is more important than either thing. You see, baptism is a sign, but it is also a command. And we must never forget that God has plans for us, and that plan was to walk with us in community. As we spoke about last week in the gathering, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He puts Adam there. That's not enough for Adam, and he knows it. But Adam doesn't know that at first. He has to learn that he needs community. So Eve is put there, but that's not enough for them. And they don't know that either for a while, and then they do. And so God walks with them. God wants to walk with us. He has two big overarching rules and, and goals for us. He wants us to be in community with him, and he wants to transform us to make that possible. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God doesn't want you just to live out a life and turn into ashes and dust at the end. He wants you to walk in community and enter a glorious community, which is a now and a future community. And baptism is part of that journey. It's not just an outer sign. God enters into the equation. We don't talk about that very much. Whenever you try to make baptism a legalistic thing, you tend to, to leave out the spiritual. God enters the water with you. A transaction is made. A promise is sealed. A gift is given. And the presence of God and good are restored in us. Community with the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is not a mere outer sign, nor is it a checkbox of some legal form. It is a sacrament, for it is a physical act with a spiritual reality that brings us grace. For in baptism, we are plunged into the holiest name in the universe. We are not so much plunged into water, as plunged into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we belong to him because of the act of baptism. It is a proximate cause. In other words, uh, it is not the only cause. It is merely an immediate cause. There were causes before there, and there will be causes after there that walk us into community with God. The Holy Spirit searched for you. I know that because you're in the room. The Holy Spirit talked to you, worked with you in whatever way you could hear, brought you to a place where you heard the gospel, you believed the story, and then we enter the story when we step into the stream of baptism. There's an old saying, they say it comes from China, but I'm always doubtful because they always say every old saying comes from China. I have no idea. They say you can't step in the same river twice. And that makes sense because water moves on and the river and its story moves on. And as a lot of Americans, when they came here, found out whenever you mark your boundary by where the river is, that's a problem because the river's going to change. 
It's going to grow. It's going to switch courses. It's going to move around. And church people, just a, 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 a wee bit of word here from a friend. Those of you that don't like change, you're in the wrong universe. Everything changes. If you don't believe it, we will supply a mirror later. You're changing too. We all do. We are plunged into baptism in a long stream of action from the Holy Spirit through baptism into the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the gift of God given to us, and then the rest of our life walking in community. We have a, 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 um, a toy that's gotten loose, George. I don't know whose toy it is, but we're going get, to get a toy to it. Is it over there? No, it's just an, an egg has arrived. And George, I thought of you as we were playing the clip. You have to look at that sometimes and say, white people are weird. <laughs> One of the most joyous things that could happen, and these people are very sedately walking down, wearing a tie, singing very controlledly, and because we're all right with spontaneity as long as it's well planned. <laughs> oh my goodness. I know that God every now and then is calling Michael over and just saying, no, just, you just have to see that. I, now baptized, we are in the community with God and with each other. And that's a good thing. That's why unity and peace are so often stressed in Scripture. We are coming into the story of God, and we're making it our story. This is not a personal reaction to a personal Savior, but a spiritual reaction to a community story and a community that is spiritual and physical at the same time. Know what happened at Pentecost? We always rush to Acts 2.38, don't we? But there's, there's stuff going on in that first couple of chapters. Don't run by it. Not just the 12, but a large group of over 100 men and women received the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. They spoke in tongues, and they had tongues of fire. A sound of great wind came through. Paul, I'm sorry, Peter preaches an incredible sermon, which we often rush past to get to Acts 2.38. But he says that God has a higher purpose for you and for all of us. Men and women, he says. God has poured out his spirit on men and women. And that was a radical statement for the day. He says he's poured it on the old and the young. That was radical in a day when only men could speak and only men above 30 were allowed to speak in public. And Peter is saying, come on in, boys and girls. The water is fine. Come on in, men and women. You may now speak. Old and young, you may now speak. Something has changed. The river has arrived and swept us into a new story. The disciples were absorbed into this wave of God's community, and they were diving into the river that not only washed away their sins, it changed their identity, and it changed the way they lived from that day forward. In Acts chapter 2 and verses 41, we always ignore this bit. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 42, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And how did it look? To the fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. In the first century, you were who you ate with. And now they turned and ate with each other. This is not the way they lived before. 
In fact, as you start chapter 2, how are they described? Twelve different divisions of groups, sects of the Jews, different nations of the Jews, each standing in their own little community. By the end of the chapter, they are one body, eating with each other, divided no more. The river has come. That's why it is sometimes so tragic to see so many churches teach that baptism is just a sign, something you do to show what is in your heart. No, it is a wholesale replacement of your heart. It is a display of what is happening to the believer as they enter the story of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection. This is not about what we are doing. It is about what he is doing. I have some people that have told me, baptism, you're teaching baptism, that's just a work. <laughs> it's not a work. It's his work. All I'm doing is jumping in it. I'm getting excited about it. It's rather like at Christmas, and my wife had to teach me about Christmas because my family uh, opposed Christmas along with a, a short list of 8,000 other things. My, my father was, was quite cheap, actually. Uh, uh, he, he told us for a while that we, we didn't have Christmas because uh, Santa Claus wore red and we lived in a Crips neighborhood. But then later, I only expected about four people to get that. Um, Detroit is always lovely in the spring when the gangs come out with their new colors. Oh, but, but anyway. <laughs> Other times you'd go out on Christmas Eve and fire a shotgun in the air and come back and tell us Father Christmas has committed suicide, so there'll be nothing this year. But the point is, my, my wife had to teach me how to do Christmas, and I've gotten all wrapped up in it, and I love it to pieces. But if she's to hand me a gift, when she hands me a gift, it's wrapped, and it's done perfectly. If I look at her and say, but if I have to open it, that's a work. How silly would that be? God just says, come on in. The water is fine. Join the story. It is a saving act. Yes, it is. That's what Peter preached on Pentecost, and that's what makes this so stunning and unique. Baptisms were common. The mikvahot were common in Jewish life. But this was new. This was adding in the Holy Spirit. This was adding in salvation, and it was making it a one-time thing. You don't have to keep coming back to the water. You don't have to. Because once you enter God's story, you're in his story. You're just, you're just swapped along with him. He would later revisit the subject in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, when he would compare baptism to the flood and call it a saving event. He stresses it's not the water that saves you, but God saves you through the water. He brings you into the community. He cleanses you. Baptism, you see, has inner and outer elements. And that's why baptism has been reserved in our, in our churches for those old enough to enter this community after hearing the word, believing the word, and repenting of their sins and voluntarily stepping forward to engage with God. We decide to do it. We're not thrown in. We make the choice. There are some visitors here today that I looked up, saw them, recognized them immediately. They, uh, they were at the church that I arrived at when I came to America in the, in the mid to late 80s. And one of the elders of that church, I'll never forget, he said, would you talk to my son? He wants to be baptized. And I said, sure. And I talked to the little 
boy, he, he was, a, I can't remember, maybe 10 or 11. And I said, so you want to be baptized? He said, yes, I do. And he had all the right answers. And I said, I want to show you something. And I read him some of the Psalms of Lament. And I looked at him, and his face was just kind of glassed over. I said, do you, have you ever felt this way? He says, I don't even know what that means. I said, then you really don't need baptism yet. You're still in our community as a disciple, as one of our children. But you see, this is repentance. Before you jump in the river, you got to know you need to jump in the river. I don't know what he did, but six months later, he came back to me and he goes, I'm, I'm ready now. I said, let's go. I didn't ask him either because I don't want him to ask me why I jumped in. But once you're in the story, that water continually cleanses you. You're in the story. We want, just as, just as Noah and his family, we're brought into a new world by the water and by their obedience. We are brought into a new world by our water, our faith, our obedience. Baptism's not a beginning. That occurred way back when the Holy Spirit first sought you out and you responded. But it's also not an ending. And tragically, in too many churches, if you're baptized, you're a full member in good standing no matter what you do from then on. And that's not acceptable. Because if you're in the story, you need to stay with the story. You need to stay with the plot. You need to move the story forward. You don't need to be one of those superfluous characters that show up sometimes in novels that do absolutely nothing but confuse the action. You need to move the story forward, however way you're gifted to do so. Paul warned the Corinthians that all of Israel was baptized into the water and into the sea, the Red Sea. Do you remember that? He says, but not all entered into the promised land. Baptism is a privilege. It is not transformation. It is merely part of our transformation. And that transformation is to be whole body, whole mind, whole spirit. And it is illustrated among us by going all the way in the water. Not a little bit, but all of it. Do you remember when Peter said, if, that, if that's true, when Jesus said, if I don't wash you, I have no part of you. He says, then wash all of me. We agree with Peter. We just say, I'm not going to hold back immediately you know it's just funny what people do they'll say so you're saying that if I wasn't immersed I'm not going to heaven I have no authority to say such things God decides all of that what I will tell you is if there's a great feast prepared don't it just eat a cracker jump in be like Paul buffet your body daily just get in there with it pretty sure that's what that means He's also the guy that said, bodily exercise profits little. So he's my hero, actually. <laughs> you jump into it. I, uh, I do weddings every now and then. I, I, I try not to. Let me explain. Because they're complicated. I much prefer funerals. Everybody knows where to be. You know, you don't have to say, right, you, in the box. They all know where they're supposed to be. And you rarely have meddling in-laws popping in saying, but we saw a wedding that had this, we'd like to have that too, at a funeral. So funerals are simple, but weddings, you get it all done, and there they are, they're standing up in, 
uh, she's, she's there. She's just gorgeous. She's, she looks like the top of the cake. She's just fantastic. He's just there in a rented suit, and there are copies of him standing over there in case something happens to him. So he's... But there comes that time in an American wedding where you get to kiss her, as if they haven't practiced. Come on. But we make it act like this is new and special. I have yet to see one of them lean over and just kind of peck on a cheek. Now, after you know five or six minutes, I do break them up. I put a hose on them, whatever I have to do, because we, we need to move this on. But don't you want to be all in in love? Don't you want to be all in? Uh, the reason I love that clip, and there are several reasons, but one of them is there is no hesitation. There is no sense. He doesn't even know what he's doing. He just jumps in. That makes it very much like a wedding. You don't know what you're doing. You have no clue, but we're just jumping in. Good on you. Well done. Go for it. That's the way it should be. Wait in the water. Come on in. The only sprinkling the Jews ever did was with a mixture of water and blood and ashes that they would put on themselves as a sign of repentance. And then they would wash in, uh, walk into the mikvah, and a plural is mikvahut, as they would then climb out and then they'd be cleansed. And Jesus is saying, I'll supply the blood. And my blood is so good, you don't have to do this again. I'll sprinkle you with blood. Jump in. In the Old Testament, again, I'm not going to go through a great deal of detail here, just very shortly. Water is used as a boundary, isn't it? To get free, we've got to cross the Red Sea. To get into Israel or, or the Promised Land, we've got to cross the raging Jordan. But once we go in, we're in the land God has given his people. And then God comes to us through Jesus, and what does he say do? Get in the water and come into the community. Luke was a chronicler of the life of Jesus and the work of the early church, and especially the life of Paul. And in the book of Acts, we have more conversion stories than we do in the rest of the Bible combined, the rest of the New Testament combined. In every case, baptism is mentioned. Every case of conversion, baptism is mentioned. So when people say, do I have to be baptized? I say, wrong question. Wrong question is, why would you not be? This is not a hard thing. Naaman, dip in the Jordan seven times. If that's what it takes to get over leprosy, do it. Why would you not do this? Think about it. Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost, baptism. Acts chapter 8, we have two conversion stories, baptism. The, the accounts of Paul's conversion, he gives it three times. Acts chapters 9, 22, and 26, baptism. In chapter 10 with Cornelius, baptism. In chapter 16 with Lydia, Baptism. Same with his jailer in that chapter. In chapter uh, 18, in, with the Corinthians, baptism. With the Ephes Ephesian disciples in chapter 19, baptism. In no instance were they called to ask Jesus into their heart as their personal Savior or to say a sinner's prayer. Never. They were told to respond to Jesus' invitation for forgiveness, out of repentance, go into the water, and enter a brand new community. So that's what I'll tell you to do. I'm not here to tell you the many ways God can save you. I'm here to tell you the, the boundary line of his community that he told us about and said, come on in. The water is fine. 
the new community was very different, though. You need to know this. It wasn't an American church. It wasn't a Scottish church. It wasn't an Indonesian church. It wasn't an African church. It, was, it broke the rules. As Joel prophesied and Peter quoted, God wanted his spirit poured out on all flesh, not just the clergy and not just the men, not just the Jews. No one would be kept out because of their nation, their race, their gender, their tribe. One of the first accusations against the Christians were, they're turning the world upside down. Isn't it interesting that today Christians are looked upon as a force trying to keep the world steady instead of turning it upside down? Something went wrong. The church became domesticated, and we tamed our God. If you can tame your God and he's predictable, you don't have the God of Scripture. Here he says, men and women can now meet in the same place. They didn't do that before. Men and women both receive my spirit equally. That didn't happen before. Young and old get to speak now and sing. That didn't used to happen before. Now the whole community can participate. Men and women, young and old, all participate. They were letting Gentiles in with, with full membership right along with the Jews. And the Gentiles didn't eat right, dress like right, act right, or know how to behave like civilized people. And God let them in. That change of identity, that new community, we need to stress that. We're linked with Adam in Scripture and his line until baptism. And after that time, we are linked with Christ. We're his family now. It's an amazing thing, adoption. I don't think I've told this story yet. I'll tell it very quickly, uh, and I have to because there's a whole lot of detail in there I'd love to tell. But my, um, my father called me from Guyana, which is an immediate sign because my father is very Scottish. When, uh, when he opens his wallet, George Washington blinks. He hadn't seen the light in so long. So he, doesn't, he does not make calls like this. And he said, there are two girls. They've been abandoned by their, their families. I'm trying to adopt them and bring them to America. Uh, and I said, fine. And he says, but they won't let me. He said, I've been trying and trying, but they say I'm too old. So I told them, I have a son. What if he signs a paper that says if anything happens to me, he'll raise them? And they said, all right, then you can adopt. I said, all right, I'll write the letter. And we sent it down to the embassy, and they got the letter. And one of the girls was taken by the family away and, and sold. That's what they do. But the other girl, dad was able to get. And that's how I got my youngest sister. She stands about that tall. Uh, when we got her, we, we called her 12. You don't know when they're in the jungles. You, know, you just kind of say, you guess. But we called her 12 at the time. Uh, very dark skin, looks like an Aztec princess. You know, black hair, dark skin, the whole, the whole carving on the Mexican wall type thing. That's what she looks like. And they brought her to America. And after about two years, I said, I need to take her to Scotland. And dad said, all right. We lived in Detroit at the time, and we would drive into Canada to fly out because it was cheaper. See earlier remark about Scotland. So we had to cross two international borders, and so we're all standing there, my whole family, Duncan and Kara, and at that time Josh Graves went over with us as well, um, um, and then uh, Cammy, of course, and then there's Sharon. And they're looking at all the passports, and they look at her and say, who's she? I said, that's my sister. Of course, she's 12. I'm 108. 
But then they, they kept looking back and forth. And we're all so white, you can read through us. And then there she is. Oh, please, a Scotsman marries somebody from Nor Norway? Their kids are clear. I said, that's my sister. And they kind of frowned at me, and I said, well, unless something happens, and then she's my daughter. I said, oh, but I've lived in West Virginia. This will work. And the lady in Scotland, the immigration control person, said, and why are you bringing her into Scotland? I said, to show her where she's from. And he says, just go, just go. She's my sister, because she's in my family. Not through my action, but through the action of my father. You are my brothers and sisters. I may only understand every third word you're saying to me, but I love you. I would give my life for you, because my father brought me into the family just like he brought you into the family. And we are brothers and sisters, equal in status equal in spirit. This has turned the world upside down. I know I've gone off script here, guys. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen, church. What exciting news. And imagine how this stunned the ancient world. No longer were these people supposed to wear those clothes, and those people supposed to wear those clothes, and no longer were women supposed to be subjugated and cloistered, for they wore the same clothes and had the same father the men did. No longer were slaves to be considered property. They were to be called brothers and treated that way. For Paul tells us that those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, are in Christ, have been buried and raised in Christ. And those who go down into the river are baptized, leaving a destructive, limiting, rebellious community and entering an entirely new community with new stories, a new ethic, a new heritage, and a charge to walk the path of holiness as transformed people. So we call people, all people to cross the river, come into the family, receive a new identity in Christ, come to the sacrament of baptism, cross the boundary, and be swept away in a new story. As we enter our prayer time today, we invite all of those prayer warriors and elders to line the back and sides and front of this auditorium. And those of you that wish to pray, please go see them. Pray with them. The Honduras mission team is going to be meeting right back over there in that corner. And anyone who wants to pray with them, please go at this time to pray with them. Go ahead now. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. Just climb over each other. Or hit the person beside you and say, you need to get up and pray too. And if you want to enter the story of baptism and take on a new name, a new heritage, tell one of these people and it will be done. Come on in. The water's fine.